This is the Yes We Canada podcast, the progressive's guide to getting the fuck out. Welcome to season three. This episode from the White House to the Big House. Hey, I'm Matt Zimble in Montreal. March 17th, 2013 was a fresh winter day in St. Jerome, Quebec. Benjamin Houdon Barbeau, a member of the Hells Angels and an accused murderer, and his buddy Danny Provencial, who was serving time for B&E in arson, were grabbing some fresh air in the outdoor exercise yard at the St. Jerome Detention Facility, 60 kilometers northwest of Montreal. Meanwhile, about an hour north of St. Jerome, in Mont-Tremblant, two tourists... Um... Tourists? Tourists. Hey guys, uh, can we check that in the control room? Are we really calling them tourists? Season three and we still don't have a control room? Okay, whatever. Uh, Tourists Matthew Stephen Marchisio, 21, and Yage Baudouin, 24, were boarding a helicopter flight they'd booked for an aerial tour of St. Jerome. They were both wearing large backpacks, which seemed a little unusual to the chopper pilot Sebastian Faure. Now, you regular Yes We Canada listeners know, Canada's a big tent country, a super inclusive place where everyone's welcome. So pilot Faure ignored his spidey sense, because it didn't feel right to be too judgy with a couple of young guys, tourists, with backpacks, who just wanted an aerial tour of a beautiful Quebec town on a random cold day in March. A few minutes after the chopper took off, the guns came out. The helicopter's comms system was disabled, and a regular tourist visit, oh, we've heard that one before, became a hijacking with a side order of kidnapping. And this is where it gets exciting, very exciting, in fact, positively Hollywood-esque. The hijackers order the pilot to land the chopper on the roof of a building next to the prison yard. They drop out a rope and then, oh, you're not going to believe this here. (laughs) This is so incredible, it would never even happen in a movie. Oh, They drop a rope out of the chopper and the two prisoners spend the next six minutes trying to climb the rope. Six minutes. The chopper's parked on a roof, the blades are spinning, noisy as all get up, and the two prisoners, who likely imagined themselves as Navy SEALs when they conceived this harebrained plot, didn't have the strength to scale the eight-foot rope and get on board. Six full minutes after landing on the roof, the hijackers abandon their plan to actually board the prisoners and they tell them to hold on to the goddamn rope and the chopper yanks them up out of the yard and flies away with their felons a-dangling. Now I know you don't believe me. Well, six minutes, goddamn, where were the guards? I used to pilot birds and nam. Six minutes, that's a fucking eternity to be on the ground, shit. 
Why didn't them guards shoot to kill? What are y'all doing with your law and order up there in Canada, Stan? Hold my goddamn beer. Well, we've linked the entire raw video footage in the episode text, so you can verify this six-minute video yourself, and hopefully, while you're doing sit-ups and squats, so when your prison break comes, you can slither up that rope in seconds without mussing up your hairdo, just like Tom Cruise. Now, the reason the guards didn't shoot to kill is because guards inside prisons in Quebec don't have guns. What? Shit! Down here in America, children in daycares have guns, goddammit. Hold my beer. Americans, we know how much you love your firefights. And I just want to assure you that like in every good film, this escape ends with a firefight when the Quebec Provincial Police catch the fugitives. But it was a Canadian firefight and no one was hurt. The pilot was treated for shock, and after years of therapy, even today, he still finds rope and fat guys kind of triggering. But man, this was a great story. Led every newscast in the country, journalists in Quebec got to break out their favorite prison break vocabulary, fugitives of justice, and my personal fave, hold up, which is the place where a fugitive from justice lives during an escape. They were holed up in a sugar shack. They were holed up in a luxury condo. They were holed up in a colonoscopy. Maybe not that one. The St. Jerome helicopter-assisted prison break was not the first helicopter breakout of a prison, but I'll bet you it was the longest. Watching the raw footage, you keep thinking, man, there's got to be a commercial break somewhere around here. But this got us thinking, how common are helicopter prison breaks? Well... We do the research. There have been 47 attempted breakouts via Whirlybird. Most of them happened in France. Because, you know, the wine in prison, là-bas, c'est absolument pas buvable. C'est la marde totale. Dégueulasse. Buff. Now check this out. Six of the 47 helicopter breaks were either hijacked or piloted by the girlfriend or wife of the prisoner, including the Australian librarian... Hello, mate. Did you say librarian? A librarian hijacked a chopper to bring her Bruce back from correctional? Blimey. A librarian springing a Bruce? Yep. The librarian Lucy Dudko, also known as Red Lucy. You see, her husband, John Killick, was a guest of the state for 28 years for armed robbery. 28 years without a shag. Good on you, Sheila. How hard could it be to hijack a chopper, right? <laughs> Wrong. You said that I could bust him out the prison bars. You could fly chopper straight into the yard. Before you know it, it could be like we not being apart. Of course there's a song about it, and it's not the only one. In fact, helicopter prison break songs, oh man, they're like a whole subgenre. It's kind of like country rap, or as we call it on the pod, hip-hop. Okay guys, I'm sorry to do this to you, but I need a quick personal moment here, if, if you'll permit me. Excuse me just for a sec. Babe. Babe. If anything happens to me, 
Like if you play this episode backwards, it'll teach you how to fly a helicopter. And sweetie, I'll be expecting you. Love you, babe. Yes, I know, Party Faithful. You're all like, where's this all going? This season three? Another rambling, incoherent season of Yes We Canada? What's the goddamn point? I'm American. My time's valuable to me. Right. We're with you. 100%. Enough frickin' storytelling here. Here's the buried lead. All rise. In the United States of America, the Law and Order Party currently has a law and order problem. Looks like the Republican nominee for president is wanted on 91 felony counts in four states. Simultaneously, his businesses are in civil court in New York, losing on fraud and financial misdoings charges, just like his charities and his, um, <laughs> university. There are so many misdoings afoot that our boy Donnie John might just be misdone. His indicted co-conspirators are starting to flip like breakfast pancakes, and he's hemorrhaging green to pay the legal team. The one-man crime spree of Donald J. Trump might just be on his way to the big house. From the White House to the big house, cue the music, jail to the chief. He's in the jailhouse now, in the jailhouse now. Well, I told him once or twice, you stop playing cards and shooting dice. He's in the jailhouse now. Okay, we're going to fast forward here a little bit. Sure, there will be appeals, delays, and talks of pardons, but here's the numbers, the stats, on just how evasive freedom is for folks once they're charged with a federal crime in the United States. In 2022, 71,954 people were accused of federal crimes. Only 290 of them were acquitted. 0.4%. You do not want to fuck with the American justice system. Now, I'm not saying it's fair. It's probably far from fair, especially if you're not a white, white-collar criminal. But that's a pretty astounding success rate for the federal prosecutors, huh? <laughs> 91 charges, including racketeering, conspiracy, abuse of state secrets. There are so many charges in so many states. As a side hustle here at Yes We Canada, we are pleased to announce that our programmers are developing a Trump indictment tracker app for your phone. Now, I'm not a lawyer, but I am Jewish, which is almost the same thing. Donnie, this is not going to end well. If I were you, I'd keep my passport in my pocket and Trump Force One gassed up and ready for takeoff, because you, my boy, might be the first of America's presidents in exile. Jail to the chief. Easy to say, but what does that look like? In America, we love our white-collar criminals, so much so, in fact, we built a special place to house them when they've been naughty. Because in America, our white-collar criminals are just lightly incarcerated. Ah, club fed. Racquetball, anyone? Hey, Bobby Joe, what's the appetizer tonight? By the way, do we have any of that delicious white Bordeaux in the cellar? Yeah, boys, <laughs> it's gonna be a lovely day here. But locking him up 
is way more complicated. You see, while people have run for president from jail, a former president has never been incarcerated. Although Bill Clinton famously said of the White House, quote, I don't know whether it's the finest public housing in America or the crown jewel of the prison system. You see, when you're done presidenting, you don't just walk out the Rose Garden, grab your car keys from the White House valet and tool away. You have an entourage, a motorcade, a secret service detail. Your spouse has a secret service detail. Your kids under 16 have a secret service detail. You get free mailing for non-political mail. The government gives you a staff budget and an office budget. I mean, Jesus, man, you don't have to store the top secret documents you stole from the White House in the shitter. Oh, <laughs> hi. Um, I read government service administration documents, so you don't have to. And let me tell you, you guys have looked after your ex-presidents pretty sweetly since about Eisenhower's time. The package is now worth about $2.5 million a year, plus Secret Service protection for life for you and the missus, or the mister, as the case may be. This means that when Trump goes to jail, he will arrive in a motorcade with Secret Service protection, and this is where it gets super complicated. I'm thinking the MAGA heads are not going to enjoy having their boy DT locked up in club fed. It's going to be the final straw for the delusionals. Shit, we got a free DT. Billy, Billy, this ain't right. We got a free DT. Hold my bear. <coughs> yep, they're going to break him out. And that's cool. We love drama like that. But man, that's complicated. Like, what does the Secret Service do in that scenario? Do they work to free Donnie? Or do they work for the state? Do they side with the MAGA mob? Or with the prison guards? Now, it's not the first time Donnie and the service didn't see exactly eye to eye, but... As Donnie's slender 215-pound frame glides up the rope with not a hair out of place into the chopper, the Secret Service, are they obliged to leave with him and let him go? Or what's the deal? The helicopter will ferry our man Donnie, sorry, ferry, uh, the helicopter will transport our man Donnie to an airport and he'll hop on Trump Force One and before you know it, He'll be playing golf in Saudi Arabia with political asylum. Okay, my American exceptionalist friends, I know you hate this when we do this to you, but we have to talk about Canada for a second. I mean, it's in the podcast title, right? I thought fuck was in the title. Hold my beer. Well, that's not wrong either. And bud, I got your beer. So, Canada, yeah? Yeah. I promise it'll be short, and I promise you that it'll be Canada from your American exceptionalist point of view. When you move to Canada, you're going to need to find a job. Have you thought about being prime minister? You see, unlike in the U.S., you don't need to be born here to become PM. There are only four pre-qualifying criteria. You have to be over 18, you have to be a Canadian citizen, a member of parliament, and the leader of your party. 
Oh, man, you got this. I'm thinking we can get that listicle done in seven, maybe eight years from the moment you step across the border. Boom. Welcome to Canada, Prime Minister. Oh, well, there's no job opening at the moment, but the gig comes up from time to time. And check this out. Unlike your guy, the Canadian Prime Minister is not subject to term limits. So once you nail the gig, you can stay in office as long as the people love you. Which is the big problem in Canada, because people here love to follow but hate to be led. I'll let you chew on that for a second. Most prime ministers in Canada are boys, but we had a girl once for a few days. Now, most prime ministers used to be lawyers before becoming politicians. Our current prime minister used to be a drama teacher, which turned out to be fantastic on-the-job training because one of the major skills of a drama teacher is dealing with self-centered, emotionally immature teenagers with huge egos, which turned out to be the ideal on-the-job training for Justin Trudeau when he had to renegotiate a trade deal with Donald Trump. They have been very difficult to deal with. They're very spoiled. They're our allies, but they take advantage of us economically. And so I agree. I love Canada. They're taking advantage of us. We're not negotiating with Canada right now. Their tariffs are too high. Uh, we don't like their representative very much. They've taken advantage. I love Canada, by the way. I have so many friends. I have everybody. When you walk into a room as president, the band plays Hail to the Chief, and everyone rises. When you walk into a room as Prime Minister, we don't give a hail and no one rises. But you do get a way better title. Please, Please welcome, welcome the, the Right, right Honourable, Honourable Your, your name, name Here for Life. And yet, a man or a woman cannot live on a title alone. You also get a salary of $379,000 Canadian a year, which is about 35 k American. Plus a swanky office in a historic building, a cottage, and you used to get a mansion... But it got condemned, and now only pigeons and rats live in it, and I'm not going there. You also get a security detail from the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. And for us up here, VIP security is kind of a, it's a bit of a, it's like a two-way street. Because sometimes our protected get violent with us poor citizens. Once, our Prime Minister Jean Chrétien put a protester in a chokehold. So we're always happy to have the RCMP around the PM for our protection. When a PM retires, they can retain their security detail if they want, but very few do, and it's, it's not unusual to bump into your ex-prime minister, say, at the local Tim Hortons or, or maybe at the Walmart. And, and certainly, if they're a, an ex-prime minister from the Conservative Party, you can usually bump into them at any of the international arms dealers' conventions that you might be attending. So when our PM leaves office, they're a lot cheaper to room and board than your exes. Enough about us. Let's talk more about you, shall we? Oh, I knew you would love that. In 1974, your Justice Department ruled that presidents that retire from office early get the same official ex-office terms as any ex-president. I guess you could call that the Nixon Clause. But check this out. A president who is removed from office due to impeachment is not granted any retirement benefits. Now, sadly, Donald Trump was not removed from office when he was twice impeached. Aww. But that's the question for our call-in on today's show. Should an ex-president convicted of between 1 and 91 felonies 
be entitled to the benefits of the former President's Act. Call us. Lines are open. Producers are standing by. 1-800-GO-TO-JAIL. Hello. You're on the air. Thanks for listening to Yes, We Canada, the progressive's guide to getting the fuck out. On this episode, our sound designer and mix engineer is Pi Salen Cutler. Lucas Choi Zimbel and Earthboy provided the music, and Manteca wrote and performed our theme. My name is Lisa Evans, and I'm your announcer. We're always grateful when you hit like and subscribe. Until next time.